This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. We'll be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 5 again this morning, if you want to turn with me there. Uh, 5th chapter of Matthew, we'll read the first 12 verses. <clears throat> it may sound familiar to you, but we'll read them again. Uh, would you stand? <clears throat> Fifth chapter of Matthew, verse 1. <clears throat> and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a, on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. Lord, um, it's true of our Lord. No, no man ever spake this way before. These things uh, that we have before us in the text are uh, far beyond us, far beyond our grasp. Any uh, desire, any real comprehension Apart from your work within us. And Lord, we're so thankful for your grace in salvation and in sanctification to do for us, to do in us, to do with us what we could never do in and of ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would use the truths that we consider here today to draw us closer to You. Uh, Lord, to uh, further clarify our purpose as a church, as the church, as the people of God in this world, and Lord, as individuals. May, may we see more clearly the beauty of Christ. May we see more accurately the deceitfulness that would, uh, would steal our attention away in this world. May we recognize it for what it is and may our hearts be lifted up to You, filled with love and desire for You for your purposes, for your will. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We are, again, um, continuing our study in Matthew. Our, the plan is, Lord willing, to go through the book of Matthew. And, of course, right, right now we're, we're going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount and, more specifically, the Beatitudes, which uh, are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I didn't necessarily, when we, when we started the Beatitudes a few weeks ago, I didn't necessarily... Um, intend to, in the beginning, uh, take one at a time, one, one sermon at a time. But uh, as, as I've looked at it and moved through here, that's what I uh, felt the Lord was leading to do, felt would, would be necessary. There, there are some ways in which they overlap, but then there are some, um, some important distinctions to be made. So that's what we've, we've tried to do and tried to tried to bring out as we go along. Now, this morning we're going to be looking uh, specifically at verse 8, and the plan is to uh, take up verse 9 tonight. So our text for today, specifically, is um, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. <clears throat> that's, that's an intriguing verse. That's an amazing verse. presents you... Uh, immediately with a couple of problems. Who are the pure in heart? Am, am I pure in heart? Are you pure, pure in heart? And then secondly, seeing God. Scripture clearly says, doesn't it? No man has seen God, except, of course, for Christ, the one who, des- who descended from heaven. We're told that God is spirit, doesn't have flesh and bones like you and I have. So what is meant by seeing God? Those are um, interpretive problems, you could say, that arise immediately. And before we get into those, let me just say this again. As, as we uh, go through the Beatitudes, what we are considering here, as we pointed out before, are characteristics of the Christian Characteristics of the Christian. Characteristics, qualities, attributes. What our Lord is describing here is the regenerate man. The saved man. It's, it's the saved, the born again, the regenerate, who will receive the kingdom of heaven. Who will be comforted. Who will hunger and thirst for righteousness and be filled. Who will obtain mercy. Who will be called sons of God. And so he gives us uh, these different aspects. And it's been suggested by some, and I, I think rightly so, and I'm trying to bring this out as we've gone along, that the order here is important. That there's a logical order. He's, he's not just kind of haphazardly throwing things out. So I've tried to hint at that as we've been moving along. For example, one who is poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, is led to mourn, verse 4, over their own sin. And they are, uh, as a result, meek. Submissive to the will of God, meek towards fellow man. And because of their spiritual poverty, their indwelling sin, their, um, their meekness and their realization of that, they hunger and thirst for true 
righteousness and long, long to be filled. And they shall, those same ones, shall obtain mercy, shall see God, as we're going to consider today, and shall be called the sons of God. There's a logical, logical order there. Now, again, as a reminder, Jesus here uses the word happy, the Greek word for happy, translated blessed or blessed, um, whichever way you pronounce it, um, happy. So he's talking about the ones who are truly happy. And well, this is probably applicable to this week because uh, if, if you think about um, Christmas and receiving gifts, and if you got what you wanted <laughs> for Christmas, you were probably happy. Well, the Lord is saying there's, there's a more ultimate happiness, you know, a higher level of happiness. In other words, you could say it this way. These are the ones that are truly happy. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who mourn over their sin. Those who are meek. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. There are so many things in this world that seem to, and probably actually do to some extent, make us happy. But it's temporary, and, and, and actually the happiness itself is, uh, is just a shadow of what true happiness is. A counterfeit. So, the Lord is saying, these are characteristics of the truly happy and those who are in the way, in the blessed way, the way of happiness. Now, again, these are not natural qualities or attributes. It's important to recognize that. He's not saying, look, there are some people out there who are poor in spirit, you know, in and of themselves. There are some people who are just naturally meek, and there are some people who are uh, who just naturally hunger and thirst after righteousness, and therefore these people are blessed. Now that these these attributes, these qualities don't come natural to us at all. In fact, quite the opposite would be true. In our natural state, we would not be poor in spirit. We would be quite in are in our natural state quite proud. In our natural state, we don't mourn over our sin. We enjoy it. We desire it. Um, If we see anything wrong about it, we make excuses for it. But we don't mourn over it. We don't seek comfort in that sense, being free from sin. In our natural state, we're not meek. We don't, again, see ourselves as being um, less than others or in, in a lowly state. We're proud by nature. And we certainly don't hunger and thirst for true righteousness. Now, there, there may be a lot of effort out there, maybe on our part as well, there may be a lot of effort out there for some form of righteousness. But again, it would be a counterfeit. And nothing related to the true righteousness of God. In our natural state, what I'm saying is, in our natural state, we are opposite of everything Jesus describes here. The unregenerate man will not only not display these attributes, not possess them and display them, but the unregenerate man will act 
in an opposite manner to what Jesus is describing here. And that's one reason uh, these things are so fascinating and, and convicting, because <laughs> Jesus is describing a truly blessed state. And again, He's describing qualities of the true Christian, someone who has been born again by the Spirit of God. These qualities are not natural, they are spiritual. They are the product of the work of the Holy Spirit within the life of the believer. It's the Holy Spirit who works within us to will and to do these things. These are qualities manifest in the heart and life of the believer because of the power of God working in us. In and of ourselves, um, we would have to say, like Proverbs 29, who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Well, the answer is no one. No one. Charles Spurgeon says this, There are no pure hearts on earth unless the Lord has made them so. And none shall see God in heaven who have not been purified by grace while here below. Now, let me just say, that is why these things are so important. Uh, again, considering our text for today, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And as Spurgeon is right, and I think he is, there are no pure hearts on earth unless the Lord has made them so. And no one shall see God in heaven who, have, who has not been purified by grace while here below. So nobody's going to see God except for the pure in heart. And there are none who are pure in heart unless God has made them so. It is totally the work of God. It is the power of God, the Spirit of God, producing these attributes in the believer. Now, having said all that, let me just uh, uh, reiterate again, too, that that I think these are qualities of every Christian. These are marks of the, we could say it this way, marks of the true believer. The true believer is poor in spirit. The true believer is mourning, is a mourner over their sin. The true believer is meek. The true believer hungers and thirsts for righteousness. The true believer is merciful because the true believer is a recipient of mercy and understands something about mercy. The true believer is pure in heart. The true believer is a peacemaker. Characteristics of the Christian, the heir to the kingdom. That's what our Lord is describing. Now, I want to just mention first the promise attached to this, but we'll, we'll come back to it, uh, Lord willing, at the end. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's an inference here of, of, a, of a desire to see God. In other words, Jesus is assuming, right, this is important. Now, this has been... Throughout the ages, the great desire of God's people to see Him, 
to see Him, to experience God, to see Him face to face. To know as we are known. So Jesus assumes that. He assumes that desire and says, Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That desire is realized. That longing is realized for the true believer in the end. Psalm 24, 3, 4 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. David says of this longing to see God, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Psalm seventeen fifteen. That's the heart of every Christian. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. When I see you. When, when my experience is no longer by faith, but... Face to face, when I know as I am known. The lover of Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14, words it this way, O my dove, in the cleft of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. That's the heart of a Christian. Job, in all of his affliction, had the hope of seeing God. He says in Job 19.26, After my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. That's an astounding statement coming from the Old Testament especially. Job knew something about this hope of seeing God face to face. And yet we're told, for example, in John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And again, in 1 John 4.12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. So there's always been this longing among God's people to see their God. And yet, we're told by John the Apostle, no one has seen God at any time. So this is an astounding promise. Blessed are the pure in heart. Happy are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, let's, let's go through the first part of it a little bit here. Um, blessed are the pure in heart. Heart. And let me start with the word heart. What does Jesus mean by the heart? It's important to have some kind of understanding there, isn't it? Because that's where we are to be pure. He doesn't say, you know, something like, 
Blessed are those who wear clean clothes. I mean, we would all understand, well, it's good. We, we keep our clothes clean. Eventually, we'll see God. But blessed are those who are pure in heart. So, so what does he mean by heart? Well, I'm just going to try to describe it a little bit. Uh, it's the inner self. I would not limit it to uh, certain aspects. Uh, some, some people talk about it as being the, the seat of the emotions. That's true, but I would say it's, it's the seat of us, period. It's the seat of our personality. It's the core. It's who we are down deep. Certainly, it includes the emotions, the mind, the will, the heart. It's your, it's your most, our innermost being, if you will. So, he's not talking about any kind of facade, any kind of outward doing or working like we see so many examples of among the Pharisees and Jesus deals with time and time again. He's talking about the core of your personality. The core of your person. Who you are. Blessed or happy are those who are pure in heart. At the very core. At the deepest level. And the Bible always speaks to the heart. It's amazing. You, you, you look at the conversations of Jesus and, and watch how He targets the heart. It's almost inevitable whoever He's having the discourse with will try to keep the discussion on a, on a surface level, on a light level, but Jesus will take it to the heart. So a man can come and say, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus will say something like, well, go and sell all of your goods. Take the money, give it to the poor, and you'll have eternal life. And He's not promoting their work salvation. What He's doing is targeting that man's heart because He knows where that man's heart is. He knows what what has hold of that man's heart. What that man's affections are set on. And so that's where Jesus takes the conversation. He does the same thing with the woman at the well in their discourse. He's giving her spiritual truth. And finally, Jesus says to her, go call your husband. She says, well, I don't... I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yeah, you, you're, you're right. You're correct when you say that. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're now with is not your husband. I mean, he just goes straight for the heart. And she again tries to take the conversation to a lighter level. Well, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> And we Samaritans say that we worship in this mountain, but you Jews say that worship has to be done at Jerusalem. And Jesus shoots for the heart again and says, Look, I'll tell you, the time is coming and it is now here that you'll neither worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem, but true worshipers shall worship God in spirit and in truth. 
That's who God seeks to worship Him. He goes for the heart. The innermost being. The core of who we are. He knows us. Proverbs 27.19 says, As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. Now, I've always thought that proverb was interesting because in water you can see face reflect face. In other words, you, you look at the reflection in the water and you don't get a, a perfect reflection of the face, but you do get a, you know, it's good, it's recognizable. And so you can look at the water and see the face, you see the reflection. But you can't look at the heart, can you? And that, that's the parallel there. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals a man. It's as though he's saying, just like you look at the water to see the face, you look at the heart to see the man. Now, that is what he's saying, except the problem is you can't look at the heart, can you? But the point is this. The heart reveals what the man is because it is the very core of the man. And though you and I can't look at the heart, the Lord can. And there's no misrepresentation in the heart of man about who the man is. Now, there's misrepresentations there. We'll come to that in a moment. But there's no distortion in the heart of man about who that man is. Also in Proverbs 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's, that's the man. So Jesus says, happy is the man, happy is the one who is pure in heart. At the very core level, at the deepest part of who you are. Now, sometimes, and I'll just mention this because, uh, for example, Romans 7, I think uh, the word mind is used as a synonym there. Paul uh, says uh, this, for example, in Romans 7, 23 and 25, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, he uses the word mind there, but I don't think he's talking about the intellect. With, with the mind, with the intellect, I serve the law of God. No, he's talking about the core of his being, because this is from the perspective of a Christian. This, Romans 7 is a Christian wrestling with sin. And so Paul says, in, my, in the core of my being, with my mind, or I think we could paraphrase, with my heart, I myself serve the law of God. That's where my heart is. But with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. 
Now, I said a moment ago that there's no distortion in the heart concerning the man. The heart, as we saw in the Proverbs, the heart reveals who the man is. And yet, there's plenty of distortion in the heart. In fact, the Bible says that it's deceitful and wicked. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Jesus says in Matthew 15, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, all produced from the heart, the heart of man, the unregenerate man. The heart is the seat of our problems as human beings. Because again, it's the core of who we are. It, it, is, it is me. My heart is me at the very basic level. At the deepest level. And the heart is where my trouble, where my trouble is. All the sin that I commit proceeds from my Heart. Now, what does the Lord mean by pure? The heart, if we said, is the is the uh, uh, if that's if that's correct, it's 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 who we are at our deepest level, our core. Jesus says, "Happy are the pure in heart." So, at that level, He's saying you're you're happy if you're pure. Certainly not what we saw in Matthew 15, is it? Out of the heart proceed murders and deaths and adulteries. No, no purity being described there. But Jesus says, happy are the ones who are pure in heart. So what does He mean by pure? Well, let me just give you a little definition first, and then I'm going to try to uh, describe it a little bit. Um, just a simple definition of the word, the Greek word used here. It means clean or innocent. You could say clean or undefiled. And the word is used repeatedly uh, in the New Testament. Um, for example, uh, let me start with the Old Testament. This is, this is, uh, I, I'm giving you a couple of Old Testament examples because the, uh, the Greek uh, Old Testament uses the same word here. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is Pure, katharos. It's the same same word Jesus uses in Matthew five eight. Every word of God is pure, so that helps us get the idea, right? Because there's no defilement, no impurity in the word of God. It's clean. The word of God is katharos, pure. Happier those who are katharos, pure in heart. It's used again of the Lord in Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13. Habakkuk says to the Lord, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on wickedness. 
So again, that helps us understand because it's describing the outlook of the Lord, the, the holiness of God. God is so pure, Habakkuk recognizes that He cannot behold evil. And 1 John 1, 5 describes the Lord this way, describes God this way, although it, it doesn't use that particular word here, just the just same, same idea. 1 John 1, 5, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That's what we mean by pure, clean, undefiled. God is pure. He's light. In Him is no darkness at all. The psalmist David, again in Psalm 51, cries out for a clean heart. Psalm 51.10, Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So it's clean. It's undefiled. Pure. Now let me just give for a moment the, the, the flip side of that. And this again is, would be our case as, as, uh, as unregenerate. The lost man. In dealing with the Pharisees, in Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Do you see what He's saying? Jesus is saying, You Pharisees, you make the outside clean. That is, you're all caught up and involved in external religion, and everybody is impressed with you. But inside, in the heart, at the level where it counts, Jesus says, you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. That's hypocritical purity. What Jesus is describing in Matthew 5.8 is... Genuine purity. Clean, undefiled purity of heart. The innermost self. Secondly, I would describe it this way. Purity. Describe purity this way. As being single in nature. What I mean by that is undivided. I think this is a big part of what Jesus is saying here. The pure heart is the undivided heart. The heart that is single in its focus, especially um, toward God. I mean, that's what we're, we're, we're dealing with here, the true believer. The true believer, how he relates to God, his, his focus, and the truly pure heart is undivided. Psalm 86.11, we read a few moments ago, I think sums this up. David says in this prayer, the psalmist says, Teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth. And here it is. Unite my heart. Unite my heart to fear 
your name. Now, that's his desire. That's his cry. He recognizes the division, the double-mindedness, and he prays, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. The idea is that I may have a single vision focused on you and not distracted by by anything else. Unite my heart to fear your name. Singleness of heart. A pure heart is a heart that's clean, undefiled. And a pure heart is one that is undivided. It is uh, single. Single in its focus. Now let me give you one more example of that. Uh, And this is from the Sermon on the Mount uh, in chapter 6. And even though... uh, uh, Jesus is using a different word here. He's using the word lamp or, or light, eye. I think he's describing the same thing. Matthew 6.22 The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. That's the idea of, of singleness there. No, no, it's not divided. See, it's either one way, it's either dark or it's light. And if it's light, if it's good, your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And what he's calling for there is singleness of heart. Unite my heart to fear your name, O God. Happy are those who are pure in heart. They're single-minded in their devotion toward God. Happy are those who are pure in heart. Jesus is saying this, this is a characteristic of the believer. This is a characteristic of one who will receive the kingdom of God. This is a characteristic of one who will be comforted. This is a characteristic of one who longs for righteousness and will be filled. This is a characteristic of one who will see God. Purity of heart. Clean, undefiled, undivided, at the very core of your being. There's a a unity of purpose, a unity of affection for God. And that person is happy because they shall see God, they have that promise. So let me move on to that now. We'll come back, come back to that rather. We mentioned it at the, at the beginning. Here's the promise that Jesus attaches to it. Happy are those who are truly pure in heart, not, not at some surface level or, or outwardly where they appear to men to be pure, but at the very core of their being, these are the truly happy 
The children of the kingdom, those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, he's assuming the desire, the desire to see God, because again, this is characteristic of the children of the kingdom. Every Christian longs for the day when we'll be with Him. Face to face. And forever. In uninterrupted, unhindered fellowship. Now, I think there's two aspects of this as well to be pointed out. Um, One, present, and one, future. You're probably going to hear this a lot because um, this is the way the kingdom of God works. We live in the already and the not yet. That's, that's how it is, being a child of the kingdom. You, you read about the kingdom, kingdom promises, and there's a, a sense in which you know them now and you experience them, and there's a sense in which they are yet in the distant future. The child of God dwells in the already and the not yet. And such is the case with this promise. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In what sense will we see God? Well, let's start with the present. There's a sense in which genuine Christians see God now. That is, God has... In in the work of regeneration, when He brings your soul alive... When He imparts life to you, spiritual life, He gives you a vision of Him. And so, the Christian, some some of the ways that plays out, the Christian sees God, so to speak, in his life. Sees evidence. Sees the work of God. You can't see it with the physical eye, but you see it nonetheless. You recognize it. The Christian sees God in history. You look down through time, you know, through the through the benefit of uh, historical documents or the History Channel, whatever it is, and uh, you see where things have happened. And to you, they're not just they're not just meaningless facts. You you see God's providence. All of a sudden, you've got a, a different outlook and you see God working in history. Past history, present history that's being made. And then you know that that's the case for the future too. You see God's hand in it. And you see God not only in your own life, but in the lives of other believers. You see God. You you. You see things as the work of God because you see Him. And so when you look at something like, uh, you know, Starfield Night, or uh, look at the Grand Canyon, and you don't, you don't just look at it and say, my, look, look at this big hole that this river created. No, you, you say, look at what God did. You see God's work in creation. It's not happenstance. The Christian recognizes that. There's a sense in which the Christian sees God now.
3 John, chapter 1, verse 11. The Apostle John says this, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God. But he who does evil has not seen God. Isn't that interesting? That, that John, you, you would expect him to finish that out saying, he, he who does good is of God. He who does evil is not of God. Or, or he who does evil is of the devil. Which certainly would be a true statement. But isn't it interesting that he uses the word seen there? And so he says, he who does good is of God. That is, whether or not you're... Experience with God is real, is manifest by your works. But he who does evil has not seen God, John says. So he's implying that those who do good, those who are genuinely saved, have seen God. That's a blessed state. That's a happy state. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And there's a sense in which that is true of us now. And it's also true for the future. And, and that, by the way, is uh, in verse 8, Matthew 5, 8, is in the future tense. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is our hope. This is the hope of the Christian. This is our joy. This is our Basis for endurance in the world, like Job, that we have this hope. We shall see God. After my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, Job said. That's the Christian hope. That's the Christian's basis for happiness. We shall see Him face to face and know as we are known. 1 Corinthians 13.12 For now, the Apostle Paul says, writing about our uh, temporal knowledge and experience here, comparing it to uh, eternity future, The Apostle Paul writes, For now we see in a mirror dimly. We've got a dim view. We do, as we were just saying a moment ago. The Christian does see God. There's a sense in which the Christian sees God, but it's, it's like through a glass, darkly, dimly. It's not crystal clear vision. It was, brothers and sisters. I, you know, I have people ask me a lot of times if there, if there's, you know, several times if there's so many, if, if there's one Bible, there's one God, there's uh, one true God, one Bible. Why are there so many denominations? I think this is the answer, because because we don't see clearly, and we're still in sin, and so we have true knowledge, but not not the fullness of it. We don't have full and complete knowledge, but we do have true knowledge. But it is intermingled, mixed with our sin. But there's a day coming when that won't be the case. So Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then, when he speaks of the future, 
when He speaks of eternity, but then face to face. We'll see face to face. The inference is crystal clear. We'll see God. And Paul says, now I know in part, but then I shall know as I am known. Doesn't mean that you'll know everything like God knows everything. We won't know everything. But the knowledge that we have will be accurate. 100%. Because there won't be any sin involved. And that's the Christian's hope. We shall see God face to face and know Him as we are known. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Remember the already and the not yet aspect. Notice there John says, the fact that we are children of God is now. Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. <laughs> how, how, does our, how does our knowledge, our experience come to completion? Because we're brought into the very presence of the Holy One and uh, it, it has a changing effect. John is saying that this again is our hope. We don't exactly know because again, we see through a glass dimly. Our knowledge is limited. We don't exactly know what we shall be. But we know this. We'll be like Him. Because we'll see Him. Because we'll see Him as He is. Our vision won't be clouded by sin anymore. By the veil of the flesh, we'll see Him clearly and accurately. And because of that, we'll be like Him. Happy is the man that has this hope to see God, to have intimate fellowship with God in an unrestricted unhindered manner. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A couple of things as I close here. If there are no pure in heart, How do we have any hope of seeing Him? Well, remember the quote from Spurgeon earlier. There are no pure in heart on the earth unless God has made them so. I point that out because I want us to think of this purity in two ways. First and foremost, our purity is based on the work of Jesus Christ. It is His righteousness imputed to my account that will enable me to stand before God at that day without fault, without blemish, without blame. 
And it's the righteousness of Christ that is my redemption and my sanctification. So that even now, in the mind of God, I am, all believers are pure. 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 And happy are the pure in heart. We're pure in heart because God has cleansed our heart. And pure in this sense as well that our heart is totally given over to Him. Singleness of heart. What, what the psalmist was praying for. Unite my heart, O God, that I may fear Your name. Happy are those who are pure in heart in the sense that they are undivided. Unlike the double-minded man that James talks about who's unstable in all of his ways, the pure in heart are focused, single-minded, because their heart belongs to the Lord. He is the desire of our heart. And nothing else can satisfy. And it's because of that, because of what Christ has done in our behalf, in cleansing us from our sin, in purifying our heart in the sense that He makes it clean and undefiled, and in the sense that He makes God the object of our affections. It is because of that we shall see God. Because of that we have that desire and that hope at all. And it's because of that, because of the work of Christ, that that will be realized. That's the way of true happiness. The only truly happy are those who are pure in heart because they shall see God. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful today for salvation, for grace, There's not a person in this room, not a person in this world who could earn their way to You. There's not a person in this world who can do enough good, enough right acts to gain favor with You. It's all of grace. It's all based on the work of Christ, what Jesus has done in our behalf in His death, life, death, and resurrection. And Lord, in Your mercy, in Your grace, in Your love that abounds towards us, You not only give us what we need to attain to the blessedness of seeing You, but You, but you give us that, that promise as well to look forward to. The knowledge of You here and the knowledge that we will be with You
forever. I pray, Lord, that uh, You use Your Word to continually wash, cleanse us as we navigate the distractions in this world. Draw us, Lord, closer, closer, closer to Yourself. May we indeed All here, be single-minded, given over to You. May it all bring glory, honor, and praise to You. We thank You, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.